Hello everyone, you're listening to America Meditating Radio. We collect wisdom, inspire each other, and empower hearts on demand 24-7. I'm Sister Jenna, host of the syndicated America Meditating Radio. Join us as we talk one-on-one with leading experts who answer life's most compelling questions. Because in a world of uncertainty, we need answers right here, right now. America Meditating Radio, a show for everyone to learn more about this amazing thing called life. Everyone, welcome to America Meditating Radio. That was Bliss, Message Home. That was one of the only songs I could actually sing and actually sounded good, but there's a beat to that song, Message Home. Is it your physical home? 
your inner home or the home above. So what I've understood for myself is um, home is that place within you first. That's just sweet. It's your sweet spot. It's where you reach that acceptance that um, you're no longer needing your attachment to your labels to define your enoughness. It is that part of you that um, is unlimited, free, doesn't need anyone to validate you. It's vast. It's beyond attachments to interpretations of yourself, and that's your place called home within you. And, of course, you know, consciousness and energy and vibrations have a way of evolving and taking us in different places. Like when we um, study a higher education, we go to another school. So I do believe that for myself, that when my consciousness evolves from these attached labels and interpretations, there might be a space of rest and comfort, which is beyond this particular planet or earth, just for a while, just just for some time, just for me to pause and be okay with that. And then to perhaps re-enter the cycle of life because living is so wonderful. And even when we go through the ins and outs and ups and downs with our own emotions and feelings, that's all good. As long as we are willing to do the work and to appreciate the work that we're here to do. I'm really excited about introducing our next speaker on air today because Marissa Peer is an experienced individual who's helped the lives of so many. There are very few speakers today that have the wide experience and stellar reputation of Marissa Peer. She's named Britain's Best Therapist by Tatler Magazine, and she has spent over three decades treating a client list that includes international superstars, CEOs, royalty, and the Olympic athletes. A best-selling author of five books, Marissa's fundamental rule is that all our emotional and personal problems come from us believing that we're not just not enough. And when she explains how to overcome it, the results are tremendous and dramatic. Training early in her career as a child psychologist, Marissa later earned further qualifications from the Hypnosis Training Institute of Los Angeles and the Pritikin Longevity Center. In addition to being a national magazine columnist, she has appeared on many major media outlets and on television shows, including Celebrity Fit Club and Celebrity Big Brother. Marissa is listed in the Tatler Guide to Britain's 250 Best Doctors, and she has been described as a great British pioneer by Men's Health magazine, and she's the only woman featured in an article on the best of British. Today, we welcome Marissa Peer to America Meditating Radio. Welcome, Marissa. We're so happy to have you on air today. Well, I'm thrilled to be here, and thank you so much for inviting me. I know there's a lot going on in Great Britain right now. I think there is a report released that the Duchess of Sussex and Prince Harry are thinking of kind of splitting their roles of being in the royal family and sort of creating their own yes. narrative. Do you have any thoughts about that? So as a Brit, like many people, I was very disappointed in their news uh, because the Brits loved Meghan. I, w- I watched her wedding. I was staying in a hotel in the UK. It was a big thing. We all had tea and cake, and it was so exciting. And mm-hmm. it's fascinating to me that within a year, she could go from having the public behind her to not behind her. And it's a bit of a lesson, I thought. There's several things I, I thought about that. One is, they feel they've been bullied. I, I'm not sure I agree with that, but I do agree that if you think you've been bullied, you should take a stand. And I absolutely admire them for standing up and saying, no, we're not going to take this. And I think anyone who's being bullied, find your voice and say, no, this is unacceptable behavior. I don't have to do this. The second thing that I think is good about it, just in terms of how you can use it is, you don't have to do what your family wants you to do. I work with so many people who are depressed because they don't follow their heart's desire. They think I've always wanted to be an artist, but my parents insist I'm a lawyer or an accountant, and I don't even like it, and now I'm depressed. So following your heart's desire is, is important, and one of the things that causes depression is not following your heart's desire, doing what you should do, but not what you want to do. So mm-hmm. that's not possible. The third thing to take from that, which 
people might not always understand is that what happened with Megan is that she complained a lot. And before you complain, you should really take a deep breath and think, hang on, is my is my problem someone else's fantasy dream come true? Like, what am I complaining about? I've got a husband worth $30 million. I've got a beautiful, healthy baby boy. I've got a man who adores me. I'm beautiful and talented. I've got an amazing home. And I'm complaining. And I'm complaining in South Africa, one of the most disadvantaged countries in the world. And, and when you complain about stuff without factoring in, it's like saying to someone who's poor, oh, you know, I'm just, I can't afford to get my hair blow-dried every day or talking about how hard it is having <laughs> a holiday that. home to someone with yeah. no money. People, people don't understand. You need to really have a bit more sensory acuity. You know, mm-hmm. I, I live in two homes, and I would never complain about the traveling because I consider myself immensely lucky. And I think that's what happened with Harry and Meghan. They complained too much. And, of course, the Queen never complained. She is the Queen of England, and you can see the strength that she has held. It's as if it's just in her, and I feel the same way that you do, too. I was hoping to see, maybe like an example, like what I see with Prince William and Kate, that, you know, they're still kind of juggling the the current times, but they're still holding on to their royal responsibilities and still being like a normal couple, Uh, and I love that about them. I've appreciated it. These are immense privileges. I mean, that job mm-hmm. comes with immense privileges for life. So I think, you know, before you complain about every, anything, just look at who you're complaining to. Just look to. at your fortune it's and like be grateful. People, yeah. Yeah, it's like one of my clients went to, went to her doctor because she couldn't get pregnant. And he said, well, honestly, I've got three kids. It's not what you think it is. It's not what it's all cracked up to be. You can live your life without children. And it's very insensitive to complain about children being the bane of your life as someone who desperately wants one and can't have one. I I have a feeling this probably won't quite work out for them the way they think it will. I think um, they may. I don't don't think that's going to be a fairy story in the end, but we have to wait and see. I was um, remembering a sharing by Ken Honda, who's the author of Happy Money and... He shared a client had inherited $30 million from his father, lost $20 million, had $10 million, but committed suicide because he only had $10 million. And I think that brings us to our conversation that we want to have today about being enough, that there's something in us, Marissa, that um, the soul, the soul doesn't feel that it is enough with even the abundance that it has been willed or the beauty that it has been gifted with or the the intelligence or even just the love of a family in a simple home. As souls, we're struggling with not being enough. Could we talk a little bit about that observation because it's a big thing. Your I Am Enough movement is gaining a huge momentum And I definitely want us to dive deeper into it because that shows to me what's happening with Megan and Harry. It's natural for us to think this is Megan's influence on Harry, but Harry's not innocent in it too. But that there's something inside of the soul that feels it's not enough and it needs a physical setting to define its enoughness. Could we talk a little bit about that? What's not making us feel enough, Marissa? And you see, that's so interesting because I've studied many, many newborn babies and no baby mm-hmm. is born feeling I'm not enough. A baby doesn't go, well, I'm not enough. I shouldn't cry. My mum's exhausted. I shouldn't spit out this broccoli that she got from Whole Foods and spent ages peering. I shouldn't throw up all over this little T-shirt that she's just ironed. Even a baby that's, you know, born and taken off the parents and left in a crib, they, they will cry for hours because their belief is somebody is going to come and take care of my needs because I'm enough. So unwanted babies, abandoned babies, you know, people often say, there's a little baby found, one of my friends is called Sammy Shoebox, and he was found on a rubbish tip in a shoebox because he was screaming. He cried for hours, and I sponsor children at an orphanage in Zimbabwe, and many of them have been abandoned, put in bags, left somewhere, and they were found because they cried. Now, those children were taken off their parents at birth or the parents dumped them but they didn't think I'm not enough I should just lie in the shoebox and accept my fate they cried for attention 
And the reason they cried for attention, and it's innate in a baby, but there's also a belief that says, well, I must be worth it. Mm. So nobody is born thinking I'm not enough. However, it's very quickly we can acquire that belief I'm not enough. It doesn't take long for children who are born knowing they're enough to say, oh, I'm not enough. In the same way, if you get a little cat or a kitten or a puppy, it will run up to you and wrap itself around your legs and go, hey, look at me, I'm the cutest thing in the world. But if you kick it or hurt it, it will start to run behind the cupboard and not come out because it's now thinking, hmm, those people don't like me. It must be my fault. And that's the problem. A child must idealize their parents because their parents are their route to survival, their only route to survival. When a child's needs aren't met, they don't think, well, this is because my mum is mentally ill, my dad's an alcoholic, my parents aren't happily married. They always think the same thing, it's because I'm not enough. My dad is mm. I haven't got a dad, I'm not enough. And then they try to change that by being good. I'll be good. I'll be smart, I'll be kind, I'll be helpful. And, of course, because it can't change the dynamics, because it's the parents that have got the problem, not the child, but because nothing changes, they eventually buy into this belief, oh, I'm not enough, I'll never be enough, and I can't fix mm-hmm. them. It's what I call learned helplessness. The child is helpless and hopeless to change the situation, and so they, they start to believe they're not enough. And, unfortunately, people keep that belief with them, for the rest of their life unless they find someone like our RTT therapists who are immensely gifted at extracting that belief and coding in a much better one. Of course, sure enough, you always have been, you always will be, and you are certainly not your dress size or the number on the scales or in your bank account. And I think actually with Megan and Harry, you can see very clearly that not enoughness, that she's an actress used to being fated and adored and having a voice, and I think she rather loved having a voice, which which is a great thing to have if you want it. But I think she didn't realize that in the royal family she couldn't anymore be a a mouthpiece. You you can't have a voice. You can't talk about politics. You have to be neutral. And Mm -hmm. I think she also felt second best. You know, Kate is going to be the queen. William is going to be the king. Diane always said, I've got an heir and a spare. And I think there's many benefits to not being the heir to the throne. You have more freedom because they yeah, have so much freedom to still be what they want, and yet it's not enough. That there's something that is driving this energy within that just makes them feel like being in the royal family is like hell. And we know what it's like to have so many rules and restrictions. But when you're bred in it, it becomes the norm. I mean, I live a very, very restricted life, but I've gotten so accustomed to it that it's not a big deal, and I'm still myself in the midst of it. You have to find your way through that. And so I think that's quite interesting in it maybe to me revealing something at a soul level isn't enough and hasn't been addressed. And even if you move out to find what you think is your footing, you're still going to feel the same way at a soul level if you haven't addressed the real deeper issues, wouldn't you say? Well, that's absolutely true. So many people who feel they're not enough seek fame, particularly acting, for going into the performing arts. And, and, and I work with so many people, and many of my observers say, well, isn't it It's amazing that fame damages people? And I'm like, well, that's not always the case. Damaged people are attracted to fame because mm. they're not enough. Someone like Marilyn Monroe or... There's so many different people say, you know, I'm going to become famous and then all my needs will be met. If I'm famous, everybody will love me. So the Whitney Houston, the Amy Winehouse. Oh, Michael Jackson, look at them. Oh, my Michael gosh. Ja- George Michael. I mean, so many. That's glorious. Yeah. And, and they go yeah. to fame believing it will meet all their needs. Everybody will love me. Everybody will adore me. And they do. I mean, Marilyn Monroe was an obvious example of that. An orphan given away, parents didn't want to know her, even when she found them, and who believed that fame would give her the love that she had never had. And when she got that love, and she got it in so many ways, it didn't actually have any effect on her at all, because the belief was that I'm still not lovable. You love an image. So many of my clients become icons in order to feel loved. They look around and think, oh, I don't feel good. But if I find fame, I'll feel so loved. And when they get it, they go, yeah, but I still feel the same person. 
Yeah. But now it's actually worse for them because, you see, before they had a dream, I'll become famous and everybody will love me. And so that dream gives them hope. But when they yeah. become famous and they still feel the same, that there isn't anywhere to go because they've gone to where they thought it would be okay. And it's not okay. They think, well, yeah, but people love this body, this voice, this image. It's not really me. And, of course, fame is very temporary. There's always going to be younger, taller, better coming up right behind you. Mm-hmm. And then they tend to go into a life of self-destruct because there isn't any more up. You can yes, only go. Yes. I mean, Carrie Fisher said that. She said, I, I became Princess Leia in Star Wars at 16. Or, I mean, she might have been 18. And there was nowhere to go. I started off in the most successful movie ever. And all I could do after that was go into a decline. And that happens to so many people who say, I don't know where to go now. There isn't anywhere to go. And fame doesn't damage people as much as people who don't think they're enough go into the fame thinking it will make them enough. There's a saying that when you do step onto the platform of fame and popularity, it just amplifies who you are. I I use Barack Obama as a great example, Barack and Michelle Obama, who, to me, stood so strong in character, in values, and they had so much power. And then I've seen others who have been given more power and are open to just abusing it and taking it for whatever it is, which shows the character of the person. I want to take us a little bit deeper into our conversation because based on your experience, and it's vast, it's over three decades, I know you're beautifully young and empowered and feeling like a million dollars every day. Tell us, what have you found to be some of the other common self-destructive thought patterns that tend to hold us back? Well, the number one is without question, I'm not enough. Um, that is absolutely the, the big one. And it's, it lies behind every addiction and hoarding and ex- excessive anything. If, I'm, if you're shopping too much, drinking too much, eating too much, buying too much, it's because you feel not enough. And if you feel not enough, then what you need is more. And so that's the number one. The second one is, is an interesting one. It's feeling different. When you feel different, it's very, very hard to connect. And not that long ago at all, our survival was linked to connecting. We needed to belong to a tribe. Safety was in every way a numbers game. And so we understand at, a, at an innate level that connection makes us survive. But when you feel different, it's very hard to connect because you connect by being the same. We used to live in tribes and we all looked the same and we knew who we were. And now we kind of like being different, but when you feel different, you can't help feeling disconnected. That's another price of fame. You know, you become famous. People can't relate to you anymore. And I think certainly Megan in the royal family feels different. And when you feel different, you tend to feel disconnected. And But you can stop that by going, look, I might feel different. I'm the same as everybody, and everybody is the same as me. We are all the same. We think the same thoughts. We dream the same dreams. And so many clients I see struggle with this concept of difference. I can't connect. I can't find anyone to love me. I can't get on with people But that's so many of us, Marissa. So many of us will I say, know. I was born in this so family, many. but I just didn't belong. Yeah. It, it's one, it's, I find there's only three things wrong with all of my clients, only ever three. The first one is I'm not enough. The second is I'm different. And I go, look, here's something to think about. If one of the biggest fears in the whole world is to be different and you have that fear, guess what that makes you? It makes you the same as everybody. We all fear being <laughs> different. We all think, oh, you won't understand me. I'm different. I mean, I'm a mother of a mixed-race child. I saw with her with my best of intentions that we went to Disneyland and all the characters were blonde with blue eyes and Mm. I took it to see Father Christmas in Sweden all the little girls in the parade were blonde with blue eyes and I saw very early on how that was affecting her and I tried so hard to stop it but I couldn't because she felt different and it wasn't a good difference but if you feel different you've got to tell yourself the truth the very fact that I fear being different means I'm the same as everyone and everyone Beautiful. is the same as me. And stop looking for what makes you different. Look for what makes you the same. You know, I was um, 
working with a group of very overweight people recently, extraordinarily, morbidly obese, I would say. And I knew when I walked in, they didn't like me. They went, look at her, skinny. She has no idea what we go through. <laughs> when I talked to them, I said, you know, I couldn't, eat, couldn't even keep chocolate in my house once. I ate all the chocolate decorations of the Christmas tree. I ate all my daughter's Easter eggs. And I began to show them that I was the same. That I had fixed my eating problems by, and that's what I was going to do with them. And so when you begin to talk to someone, they start to go, oh, you're not different after all. You're just like me, and I'm just yeah. like you. When I'm in Africa at this orphanage, I don't like it when the staff call me. I think they call you mom and my lady. I go, oh, don't, please don't call me my lady. I don't like <laughs> it. I'm just Marissa. And um, they were they were fascinated that I had a mixed-race daughter because that's not really approved of in South Africa. And I showed them all pictures because I wanted them to see we're the same. I'm not different. I'm mm-hmm. certainly not my lady, and I hate being called my lady. That puts me on a pedestal, which I don't want to be on. But the third thing that is wrong with people, there's only three, by the way, and all of your audience can look at which one. You can be all three, by the way. And I think for a long time I was all three. I felt not enough. I felt very different. My father was the principal of my school. I felt hideously different. I thought I was ugly. I thought I was a freak. And it wasn't cool going to school and having my dad being the principal because Boys, five years old, come and say, you're dad, and they'd say something. Oh, well, I didn't know what to do. I was 11 years old. I, I just had to snuck it up. It was horrible. But the third thing is I want something, and I'm pursuing it, but I know it's not available to me. I want to be over depression, but I've got the depression gene. I want to stop drinking, but I've got the alcoholic gene. I want to find love, but I know... I'm not lovable because my dad left when I was two and never even paid, paid child support. I want to lose weight and have a great figure, but, you know, I've got the fat gene. And so we pursue something while believing it's unavailable. So what do you call the yeah, I, I want but knowing that it's not available? Is that an expectation, a desire that... What happens okay. is when we're children, we have fleeting beliefs, but they become fixed when the parent goes, well, no one in our family is there, but, you know, we've all got the depression gene. Your grandmother was depressed. Your auntie was depressed. The children hear these fleeting statements, and they sink in, and then they take root and develop like weeds, and they are limiting beliefs because, of course, it isn't true. I mean, yeah. you know, when Harry married Megan, a, a mixed-race girl, that was a wonderful thing. It wouldn't have happened 100 years ago. And yeah, that was a sure. wonderful thing. So when Barack Obama became the president, I, I was in tears. Most of my country the whole was world a beautiful was. thing. The whole world was. Because, yeah. it, oh, it's available. You can be the president, the prime minister. You can marry into royalty. The, the glass ceiling is in your head. Yeah. So it gives you permission to think out of the box. I know that you've got a lot of wisdom to share, and I I definitely want our listeners to be able to digest it and and really hear it. So the three things that might be like a self-destructive pattern is not to be enough, not to feel you're not enough, to feel different, and to want something that perhaps the soul will never achieve. Can you outline to me briefly, how did you come up with those three? Is it from seeing the clients, or is it from doing your own soul-searching along the journey? Oh, it's from the clients, because if it was my soul-searching, I would say, well, that's what's wrong with me. But after being a therapist for 33 years and working with everyone from movie stars and Olympic athletes to, you know, school teachers and someone who maybe was working in a restaurant, I realized that all my clients had the same three problems. It didn't matter what they were coming in for. They all would have had one of those three things. And when I began to teach people, when I began to train people in my method of therapy called RTT, they go, well, how do you get these amazing results? I go, because I always do what I call what lies beneath. When somebody comes in with an issue, I very rarely... I mean, I look at the presenting problem if I'm anorexic or I'm bulimic or I'm a compulsive shopper or a compulsive shoplifter. I look at the presenting problem, but I'm always looking at mm, what lies beneath. And it's usually not enough, but it may be I'm different. Sometimes it's all three of those, and I began to always treat those three issues within any session I did. And I taught all the 4,000 people I've trained to date treat those issues, and they come back and say, wow, 
it's just amazing. I mean, we've now got some programs in schools all over the world, anti-bullying programs, and we we help the bullies because bullies feel they're not enough. No kid wakes up and goes, oh, my life is so great. Who could I diminish today? <laughs> the very nature of bullying, it comes from not enoughness. That's and true. It's, it's extraordinarily successful. So it was my, cli- my own clients taught me everything that made me a great therapist. Oh, wow. Interesting. Well, good for them. I guess they should get a percentage of your profits. They should. Um, should. Tell me, you've got the um, I Am Enough process, and there are principles that you offer us. Could you share with us maybe one or two that could help us to sort of just incorporate the understanding that I was born enough, forget the stories that started to divide me and Forget looking at people in social media and thinking that what they have is more than what I have, so to speak. Can you give us one or two principles that can help us to feel a little bit more complete? I would love to. Thank you. You know, many people people go out into the world and try to make the world meet their needs. It's like, could you make me feel lovable? Could you make me feel significant? Could you make me feel I matter? And sometimes we'll go, yeah, sure, I can do that. But it might not do it for very long. And then... You've given them the power to make you feel enough. You still haven't got it from you. Or sometimes people have a baby think, that will give me all the love I need. But they leave eventually. So first of all, to feel enough, you need to join the I'm Enough movement. You need to write, put it on your fridge and fridge magnet, put it on a cushion, print it on your pillow. Certainly write it on the mirror that you use when you're cleaning your teeth and say it out loud every day, even if you feel silly Send yourself phone alerts twice a day saying I'm enough. And one of the best things is to incorporate it in a safe way into your phone, into your computer password, so that every time you're logging on, obviously with squiggles and dots and capitals and all kinds, you have to put in that I am enough. And now you've got to read it, write it, and type it every day. And when you do that every day, it sinks in. Just the way lotion mm. will sink into skin that's very dry and nourish it, Words will sink into a part soul and nourish it too. So just say it because one of the rules of your mind is that, first of all, it learns by repetition. And secondly, your mind doesn't care what you tell it. It doesn't care if it's good or bad or right or wrong. It, it lets it in. And so if you're busy telling yourself, well, I'm not enough and I'll never make it, that's going in. You may yes. as well change that to I am enough. I have always been enough. I always will be enough, and now that I know it, the whole world will know it too, and that will go in. So if those three words, the strength is really their simplicity and their power, I'm enough. Say it, write it, state it every day. And if you're a parent, certainly sit around the table with your children and have them all go, I'm enough, we're enough. That's armoring your kids. Every, you know, I have so many schools now who have it in the classrooms, who have the kids make plaques on their desk, who make them all say, I have schools using my bullying program, having the bullies go into their own I'm enough program because, of course, they tend to be bullied at home. The second one, I'm different so I can't connect. Remember that if you feel different, then by that very feeling, you're the same as everyone because it's our greatest fear. Remember, we are tribal people in our soul. And we connected by belonging to a tribe. And if we were different, they might cast us out or reject us. So we are wired to be scared of being different. Just like we're wired to be scared of being hum- hungry. Because not long ago, hunger was the biggest killer of all. And that's right. why people still go, I'm so hungry, I've just eaten two packets of jelly beans. And why did I do that? We have, right. We're tribal people. We're scared of being different. I have a question for you. And it's a personal one because I know someone who's very close to me. And um, they have been stuck in a language that has been serving them, even though it's bringing them down. And it has taken away a lot of their power. There's no doubt I can see it with my own eyes. What do you do when, you know, some of your clients, no matter how much you invite them to change the narrative, that they're not able to is there a method that one can offer to help that person? I mean, do we put post-its up on the fridge? Do we um, send them text messages? You are this, you are that, remember that. 
do we just help in that way? Is that a way of helping them too to bring pattern? Well, here's what I would do, and we could all do it now. I would ask that person, I mean, as long as they were willing to close their eyes and to imagine they were holding a big, fat, juicy lemon and to breathe in and to inhale that lovely lemon aroma and then open your mouth. We can all do it now. Shove that <laughs> lemon into your mouth and start eating it. Bite the flesh, <laughs> chew it, suck it. Really go to work and eat that half a lemon. That's right. Chew into every burst every segment. Feel that lemon juice going all around your mouth. Bite that lemon, suck that lemon, eat that lemon. And most people will find straight away that they start to make saliva to a thought because your mind thinks, oh, Lemon is very acidic. That will erode tooth enamel. You need tooth enamel to eat. You need that to live. And so it will go to work, start and wash away the lemon mm-hmm. juice. So you just reacted to a thought. Thoughts things. We know that when men watch porn, they get a very physical reaction. When you mm-hmm. think about food, you start your tummy starts to rumble. So a thought is real. Thoughts become things. And I would just very nicely say, you know, I love you very much, or I care about you, but I notice how much you say this is a disaster, I'm useless, I'm hopeless, I could never do that, nothing works out. And I would try nicely to guide them to seeing what they're saying. Your yes. words form your reality. The way you feel about everything, bar none, is down to two things. The pictures you make in your head and the words you say to yourself. That's it. The way you feel is down to the pictures you make and the words you say. Like you could get on a plane and go, oh, I think that person next to me looks like a terrorist. I'm sure they're going to blow up the plane. (laughs) Look, they're in the toilet every 10 minutes. They're going to blow us all up. And you'll have a horrible, horrible flight because of the words you're saying. Another person might go, oh, look, they've got my favorite movie. I'm going to read a book. This person's in the bathroom because they're nervous. I'm so glad I'm not nervous. And you'll have a totally different flight. It's not the person. It's your thinking. And so you have to change your language. Your words shape your reality. When you change your words, it changes your reality. I mean, I saw this in action. I had a baby pretty much at the same time as many of my friends had babies. And one of our friends would always say, no, the baby's killing me. The baby's driving me insane. This kid is making me go mad. I'm I'm out of my mind with sleep, sleep deprivation. I say to you, you know, it's not a good thing to say. Why don't you just say it's a challenge? And yeah, it's tiring, but it's also non. It's just the best thing in the world. You've made a brand new person. It was your dream come true to have this baby? And I'm always looking. And, and now, of course, uh, her baby is the same age as mine. But her baby is. And are very neurotic, very anxious, and very worried because all the time she goes through his life going, This is killing me, this is driving me mad, I'm going insane with tiredness. I'm like, <laughs> No, you're not. You're like a battery. You can cope. And also, by the way, when the baby goes to sleep, goes to sleep. She was busy like ironing and starching and trying to make everything perfect. And so I see that a lot with people that. The disharmony in their life, my kids are making me want to die. My Mm -hmm. partner is making me crazy. If you change your language, they don't change. They still leave their clothes on the floor. They still put (laughs) jars in the fridge without a lid on, so you smash it all over the floor. It's so true. They have better coping skills. Like, you know, one day they will all be gone, and I'll be like my mother sitting all on my own, thinking, well, I wish I could go back (laughs) to that house where... Someone left peanut butter on the phone handle and the doors were sticky. I'd give anything now to go back because it's so brief. And so when you're in that challenge, instead of saying it's driving me crazy, you say, well, you know, maybe someone else would like the life I've got, these messy, noisy kids, this difficult boss. Um, So without trying to be Pollyanna, draw their attention to the language they're using, to the fact that, you know, if you ever go to... And when you go to Africa or, or downtown Jamaica or parts of Cuba, you think, wow, I'll never again ever complain about my lot in life. But mm-hmm. we do. It's Absolutely. I got you. So talking with you now, um, you've got so much information in you and so much experience. How does Marissa take care of her inner world? How does she find her peace and, and her inner stillness? 
knowing all she knows, hearing all the stories that she's heard, what gives her her inner peace and her inner enoughness? Well, for me, the, the most important thing when I wake up in the morning is to say, I love my life. I wake up and say, I love my life, I love my husband, I love my child, I love my job, I love myself. Because gratitude is the most, the highest frequency to resonate at. And if you can wake up in the morning and the first thing you do is be grateful. I love my first cup of coffee. I love the smell of this shower gel. I love just waking up in these lovely snuggly sheets. Maybe I've got to wake up at 6 a.m. and go to work. But I love having a job to go to. Even if it's not true, start to say, I love my life. I love my life. Think about all the things you love because once you do that, you begin to do it automatically. When you do it automatically, you resonate at a different level where you unconsciously start to look for the good in everything. And so that, that for me, is, was a game changer, to wake up and there's a great song called Good Morning World, It's a Brand New Day. And I used to make myself do that. And now I find myself doing it automatically. And it doesn't matter if it's raining or cold or miserable or the heating has broken down. I always wake up in that state of gratitude. I always think, wow, what would I have given 10 years ago to have this Mm -hmm. problem? And sometimes I say to my husband, you know, we're so lucky. Even in adversity, like recently we we had to go to Australia to teach a course, then we had to go to Thailand for a meeting, then we had to go to Singapore for a recce, and we went to Japan. I said to my husband, you know what, let's just go back to L.A. This is too much traveling. But I didn't blame because I thought, wow, I'm so privileged. I'm so lucky that yes. I'm just doing the traveling to you know, cancel the rest of the trip. It, it's mm-hmm. very important not to complain, which comes back to Megan again, really. So keep looking at what's good in your life. You have a difficult Beautiful. teenager, but that's what they're like. And, and also, for something to get you, it has to be permanent and all-pervasive and personal. Your kid challenges you. Well, they all do that, but they grow up. Your baby, you can't get them out of your bed, but they won't be in there when they're 15 years old. There's something that's isn't true. permanent. That's true. Your boss is difficult. Right. He's not there when you're having dinner with your partner or making love or having a lovely bubble bath. So nothing can get you unless it's permanent, personal, and going on all the time. And gotcha. this too will pass is a great thing to say. I have challenges, but I always think of the good stuff and remember it will pass and, and stay in being so grateful for the wonderful things in my life. And the great thing is the more you look at what you're grateful, you start to be grateful for silly things like, oh, hearing that little baby yeah. laughing in the street, the smell of this coffee, <laughs> the sunrise, you become grateful for everything. And then, you know, and, and I have a personal experience of that because I was told I had cancer five years ago. And for the first day, it was a huge shock. I was very scared. My husband was, but by day three, mm-hmm. I never well, what a stroke of luck. I've got it in my womb. I don't need my womb. And I had my womb removed. And I, my body, I didn't do it. My mind went straight into, well, that's a stroke of luck. How lucky am I that it's in an organ that I don't need and it's done an amazing mm-hmm. job giving me this amazing child. But I thought I could have it in my eye or my spine, but it's a womb. I don't need a womb. Well, and it almost well I think you, I think you I, are offering us, um, Marissa, the insight of how to just really stay on the good side, on the positive side. Even yeah. if it's not working out, you know, there's just so much in you that it just rolls off like a tape recorder. It's so powerful. Um, well, you I would have to choose love, happiness. Yes, you have to because we ins- do have the power to choice. Yes, and, it is. And I think it is an happiness. So many of my clients go, I'm trying to go to happiness. I'm like, there's no terminal called happiness. You don't get on a mm-hmm. train and get off at happiness. Happiness is the journey. I you say, Indeed. when my kid is two, when they're out of diapers, when they're at school, I'll be happy. No, be happy No, right it has now. to start When now. they've just spilled right. cereal all over the floor, be happy when they've just, you know, done something crazy because it, it's an inside job. There isn't a destination called happiness. And people waste their life waiting to be happy. Mm-hmm. You have to be happy mm-hmm. now. Like, you know, I, I'm, I'm away from my daughter. I love her dearly. And sometimes I really Absolutely. miss her, but I'm also aware that this is good for her because she, it's making her independent. One day she might go, I'm, hey, I'm going to live in New Zealand with this great guy, and I would miss her terribly, but I'd always be happy 
that she had joy in her life. So mm. you have to happiness is now and I guess again I look at Megan and go, Well why can't you choose to be happy where you are? She'd have been able to have gotten yeah. the right thing and I would recommend that you write them a letter to really rethink and reconsider mm. because there's so much going on. Listen, I want to keep talking to you, but we're running out of time. So if individuals want to contact you and want to get a copy of your many books, what's the best website for them to find you on? If you go to marissapeer.com, we give away a lot of it. We have free audios on love blocks, money blocks, wealth wiring, health wiring, success wiring. They're all there free. If you want to find an RTT therapist, go to rtt.com. And if you'd like mm-hmm. to train and do what I do, we have an amazing online and live program. No background in therapy is required. You can find out about that, too, at rtt.com. Thank you so much, Marissa. You've been a well a well of um, information and um, experience with delight. All the very Thank best you. for the rest of the year. Take care. And Happy New Year to you, too. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you, Marissa. Thank you. So we've just gotten um, um, a a beautiful basket of much wealth of wisdom from Marissa Peer. And if you'd like more information, just go to her website at marissapeer.com. And I think a lot of the things that she said were so practical, especially the three things that makes us, you know, lead into a self-destructive pattern. Do you remember what the three was? Um, I'm not enough, difference, or you want something that's so limited or it's just not going to be possible, but you still set yourself up for it. And the fact that all of her clients, the thousands and thousands and thousands of clients that she has actually had the privilege of sitting in front of and sorting through their journeys, she realizes that when she looks at what is it that everyone has in common, we all feel this way. So listen, we weren't born feeling we're not enough, so let's get back to feeling that we are enough. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Remember, no one can take away your happiness unless you give them permission. And we really are here to love each other the same. So let's do it. Here is Carmen Lundy, Grace. Take care, everyone. And don't forget to keep holding your moments of silence every hour and hour and beginning what I call the traffic control method. 30 seconds, 60 seconds, every hour and hour. Maybe just remind yourself, I'm enough. Here's Carmen Lundy. Take care. We have walked for so long With our hands to the ground Amazing way Oh, so long With our hands under the moon Why they will call it me Why it's for now Amazing way
I'm Sister Jenna. You've been listening to America Meditating Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Did you enjoy that conversation? Because you can also listen to it on Spotify or on iTunes, 24-7, anytime, anywhere. I do trust we all have inner power to become our very best. When we listen with curiosity to learn more, we grow. So thanks so much for tuning in, and do be easy on yourself. Take care.